Scriptures now and turn to Psalm 95. Uh, Psalm 95 is our scripture reading in focus this morning. You could find it on page 933 in your pew Bibles. It's just about the center of our Bibles as well, the Psalms. We've been hitting some different notes as we go through the Psalms this summer. And this is a Psalm of Thanksgiving, a Psalm of praise. And so we want to read Psalm 95. Encourage you even this uh, afternoon, maybe when you get home, to read the Psalms that are especially in the 90s altogether. They're a beautiful collection of, of Psalms that praise God, especially for his majesty as our great king. So Psalm 95. Let's hear together the word of the living God. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. And so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I think as human beings, we all love invitations. We love to be invited to special occasions like weddings or baby showers or quinceañeras, uh, and other occasions where we could join in some kind of celebration together. You know, and even if we can't make it, or even if secretly, deep down, we don't necessarily want to go, uh, we like to be invited because we want to be thought of, right? Children, how excited do you get when someone from your school or someone from church invites you to their birthday party, right? You feel special and maybe excited because you're invited to someone's birthday party. We love invitations, and here in Psalm 95, beloved, God himself is inviting us to come and to worship him. And this invitation goes to the whole world. And God invites us freely to come into his presence because he is a God who has made a way to draw near to him on account of Jesus Christ. So that we can behold God together and so that we can be refreshed by him. But the question is, how do we come to Christian worship rightly, right? If you're going to uh, attend a special occasion, you want to make sure that you follow proper etiquette, right? If you're going to uh, go to a wedding, maybe you want to dress in a certain way. If you're going to a birthday party or a baby shower, uh, you might want to bring a gift. When it comes to worship, what does God desire of us? What well, we see in this psalm that we are called to worship with, with three things here in this psalm. We are called to worship God with joyful lips. We're called to worship God with humble hearts. 
and we're called to worship God with open ears. Those are the three things we want to consider from Psalm 95, and may God use this psalm to orient our minds and our hearts to worship him even today with faithfulness and joy. First, beloved, in verses 1 through 5, we see this call, let us worship God with joyful lips. Again, this word opens with that word, or this psalm opens with that word, come. And we could just take a moment and, and, and marvel at that invitation of God. And maybe we need to think about this because perhaps we struggle with that question, you know, am I personally really invited to worship God? Maybe other people, right? Maybe people who have their life together a little bit better than me, but, but God knows how I've sinned. God knows how I've fallen short. Am I really invited to come and to worship God? And dear listener, we see in the scriptures that our worship is not based on us, but it's based on the merits of Jesus Christ. He is the rock of our salvation, the psalmist will say. And because of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection from the dead, a new and a living way has been opened for sinners like us to actually come into God's presence. And because of Jesus, this call to come, it goes out freely because Jesus prayed the price, the price to come. Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Revelation 22:17. the spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This offer comes to us freely to worship because Jesus paid that price. And this leads us to that first point that we're thinking about. Let us then come with joyful lips. The psalmist says it in many different ways, doesn't he? Let us make a joyful noise. Let us shout to the God of our salvation. Let's extol him with music and song. This is unashamed. This is enthusiastic worship of God. Old Testament commentator Derek Kidner notes how these verbs are urged upon us collectively as worshipers. And he says, look, we're even here addressing one another to make sure that we come ready to celebrate the victory of Christ, not drifting into his courts, preoccupied or apathetic. You know, even today, people observe uh, certain holidays that celebrate victories, don't they? You know, think of Cinco de Mayo, uh, which is a day, right, that commemorates the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire at the Battle of Puebla. Or you can think of the various parades that happen in the streets when a sports team uh, wins the big game. Right, if your team wins the World Series or your team wins the Super Bowl, right, that victory is often accompanied by, you know, parades and celebrations in the street. And as a fan, you don't want to miss out. You want to join in on the celebration. Well, here the psalmist is saying, let us shout to the rock of our salvation. This is a call to excessive praise. This is the kind of praise that happens when people come into contact with the living God. And the scriptures, cleansed lepers leap for joy. Forgiven women worship at Jesus' feet. 
healed blind people declare God's praise. See, unlike the victory of a sports team that we love, this salvation of Jesus Christ was actually done for us personally. That Jesus went to satisfy the judgment of God for our sins, and he has given to us eternal life. And so let us come and let us sing with joy in our hearts. Moreover, the psalmist says, notice our praise, it should be filled with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Verse 2, let us come before him with thanksgiving. Our, our songs of joy, our prayers should all flow from a heart that recognizes God's blessings. Both the common blessings of this life and how God just provides for us, but especially those blessings that come to us in Jesus Christ. That we should come and we should say, thank you, Lord, for that covenant love. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on me. Thank you, Lord, that, that you still love me even when I fall short. Thank you for your mercy that abounds over my sin. Thank you for second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Thank you for being faithful even when I'm so faithless. Thank you, Jesus, that you reign over all things even when I look into this broken world. Thank you that you're on the throne. We're to come here with thanksgiving in our hearts, with joy. And notice the psalmist, he doesn't just call us to this enthusiasm out of nowhere, but he gives us, notice in verses 3 and 5, he gives us the reasons. Why should we sing with joy? First, he says, because God is a great God, and he's the king. Notice he says, God is greater than all of the so-called gods of this world, and he is to be feared above all gods. All these so-called gods are not really gods at all, but they are what we call idols that cannot satisfy our hearts. And here's the truth, beloved, everything in our life that seeks to rule us apart from Jesus is a terrible idol and something that always leaves us longing for more. Right? The gods of materialism always leave us longing for more, promising that maybe if we just buy the next thing, right, we're going to be happy, but we're not. The gods of worldly success and power promise that if we just get that promotion or we get into that next season of life, we're going to be happy and satisfied, but we're not. Everything in life that rules us apart from the true God is an idol that always leaves us longing for more. But in worship, we come to praise the only God the only one who can satisfy the deep longings of our soul as human beings. This God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is a great God, and he's worthy of praise. Notice, secondly, the psalmist says we praise him because God, he's great, and he holds the mountains in one hand, and he holds the depths of the earth in the other hand. Children, do you know what the tallest mountain on earth is? It's not Mount Baldy outside. It's Mount Everest, which is almost more than double the size of, of Mount Baldy. Mount Everest is 29,029 feet above sea level, which is about 8,848 meters above sea level. It's an incredibly large mountain that many people have died trying to climb, and there's many big mountains like it. And notice what the psalmist says in verse 4. In his hands are the mountain peaks. <laughs> and notice what's in God's other hand, the depths of the earth. 
The deepest part of the earth is said to be challenger deep in the Mariana Trench. If you were to put Mount Everest under water and you were to swim all the way down to the tip of Mount Everest, you would still have to go more than 2,000 more meters to reach challenger deep the Mariana Trench. It's 10,924 meters down. That's a long way down. The depths of the ocean are mysterious. Scientists say that over 80% of the ocean floor remains unexplored by human beings. But God knows the depths of the earth. In one hand, he holds the mighty mountains of this world, and in the other hand, he holds the depths of the earth. This is the God that we are worshiping today. And how can God uphold such a glorious creation? We'll look at verse 5. He's the one who made it. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Therefore, this God, who is a great God, beloved, over this world and over our lives, he is worthy of our praise today. You know, maybe you don't like your singing voice very much. I confess, I don't really care for my own. And that's okay. The Word of God tells us that we are to make a joyful noise. Two times, just make a a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be beautiful in the sight of men, but let it be a, a joyful, beautiful sound in God's ears, flowing from a heart of thanksgiving. And this call to worship, beloved, to sing and to shout and to rejoice, it's not just a suggestion from the great king of the universe, but it is a call. It is a command from God himself because he's worthy of praise. He's a great God. Indeed, beloved, joy marks the praise of heaven right now. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Beloved, may God help us to come with songs of joy, with lips that praise his name. Secondly, notice the call, let us worship God with humble hearts, verses 6 and 7. Joy should not only mark our worship, but also humility. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, That word for worship in the Old Testament is commonly used uh, and connected with prostrating yourself before God. That means, you know, lying face down on the ground before God in worship. Genesis 18, verse 2, when Abraham saw God's heavenly visitors, manifestations of God himself, we read this. He ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. He lied prostrate before them. You notice in this psalm, beloved, and even in that account of Abraham, how our bodies are engaged in worship. You see, when we come to worship, even today, we're not just brains on a stick here to download some information from a sermon or from a liturgy, but we are creatures, beloved, body and soul. And God is calling us to worship him with with all that we are. In the New Testament, Paul speaks of bowing his knee before God, in prayer for the church, Ephesians 3. In 1 Timothy 2, 8, 
Paul tells Timothy, uh, he commands men in every place to lift up holy hands in prayer. How does engaging our bodies in worship help us to praise God? Well, our bodily posture can help our hearts praise God. Now think about it. Even today when we sing the national anthem, what do we do? Right, most people, right, will stand, right, take off their hats, put their hand over their heart, and they will sing or they will listen. And that posture that they assume helps them to reflect, helps them to remember the things that they're hearing or perhaps singing. When we kneel in prayer before God, when we lift up our hands in prayer or in worship, when we humble ourselves even with our bodies, it could help cultivate within our hearts humility before God. And this is not about mere outward expressions, right? Some of us, including myself, have come from churches where there were lots of outward expressions of enthusiasm, but perhaps these things were disconnected from truth. And Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4, right? We must worship God in spirit and in truth. But we want to be careful as God's people that we're not running to the other side of the spectrum, disregarding our bodies in the worship of God. Indeed, beloved, one day all people will kneel before King Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 9 through 11, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now, beloved, in worship, God is calling us to humble ourselves in joyful submission to King Jesus. We bow not just our bodies, but ultimately we bow our hearts before him. We bow our wills. We bow uh, ourselves and we say, God, use me. Forgive me. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Again, the psalmist here not only tells us to worship with humble hearts, but he tells us why, verse 7. Notice the reason. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God not only made the sea and the dry land, but he made human beings. And he not only made human beings as the pinnacle of his creation, but by the power of the gospel, God has created for himself a people who would be set apart for eternal life. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. We are his people. We are God's flock. We're his sheep, the ones who are under his care. And as sheep, we are reminded that we are dependent creatures who need God's guidance, who need his protection, who need God's care. And in worship, we humbly recognize our position and how much we need our God and his care. Beloved, joy marks the praise of heaven right now, and so does humility. Revelation 7, verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. 
blessing and honor, glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so let us come and let us worship God with joyful lips. Let us worship God with humble hearts. And finally, beloved, let us worship God with open ears. Verse 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and as you did at the day of Massa in the desert. This call to listen connects us with the previous point. Again, we are sheep who need to listen to the voice of our good shepherd, Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. This side of heaven, the primary organ of the Christian is not the eyes, but it's the ears. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so listening is essential to our worship. The preacher of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 5, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. You who are married, and even those who are not married, uh, know that there's different kinds of listening, right? There is passive listening, where you're just allowing the words to come in one ear and just go out the other, maybe as you're watching the TV. There is selective listening, where you're listening just for those tidbits of information that interest you, and you respond to those things. But then there's also active listening, where you, you know, put down your phone or close your computer, you look your spouse in the eye, and you're actually trying to listen to what they're saying, even picking up on the nonverbal cues to, to get at the heart of what they're trying to communicate. Well, God is calling us here to active and to careful listening to his word. We're to pay attention with hearts that are ready to not only listen, but ready to walk in the things that God is saying. Notice the call here is not to harden our hearts. To harden our hearts means that we close our hearts to God's revelation. Right? God is a speaking God. He's speaking right now in the world around us and the things that he's made, but he speaks in his word a saving message about Jesus and what that means for us. And we're called to, to hear that and to respond in faith, to say yes to it, to say amen to it. This part of Psalm 95, which, set, which begins with that word today, all the way to the end, it's quoted in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the, the preacher in Hebrews is speaking to the congregation and calling them to pay attention to God's living and active word. And he puts Psalm 95 in Hebrews, he puts it in the present tense in verse 7 of Hebrews 3. And he says to them, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In other words, God is speaking not to just the generation of David in Psalm 95, but he's speaking to his church today by the power of the Spirit, calling us to pay attention and to receive this word in faith. And notice what the psalmist does. He brings up a couple of key events in the life of Israel that show their lack of faith, their lack of trust in God. This first event is from Exodus 17. This was a time when Israel was going through the wilderness, 
Might have been a hot day just like today, and there was no water. And so they grumbled against Moses, and they doubted God's provision. But this oath that God swears that they're not going to enter his rest, that comes later on in Numbers 14. At that time, the people of Israel were all set to go into the promised land, right? But what did they do? You remember the story? They sent out some spies to go search out the land to make sure everything was okay. Even though God said he was going to give them the land, they sent out these spies. And what did the spies do? They came back and they gave a bad report. Hey, look, there's some enemies in the land and there's some giants there. Let's not, let's, let's, let, you know, let's be patient. <laughs> Although Caleb and Joshua, the leaders of Israel, encouraged God's people to remember God, to remember his faithfulness and how he's mighty to save and that he would fight for them. We read that the people hardened their heart against God and his word. They did not believe. Instead, they complained and they said this, would that we have remained in Egypt and died. And so what was the result? They were not able to enter the land of Canaan. They fell short of the rest God had provided for them because they did not mix the word of God with faith. And what's interesting about this psalm, beloved, is that it's written after all of that. And it, and it speaks of us as well, not falling short of this rest. And so what is this rest for us? This rest is ultimately God's heavenly rest, right? Um, this theme of rest, of being in God's rest, it's a, it's a theme that goes all throughout the scriptures. Remember, in the beginning, God created all things in six days, but then he rested on the seventh day and he blessed it. He ceased from his work and entered into communion with his creation. For Moses and for Joshua, there was this physical land of Canaan, which was symbolic of the ultimate rest of God. It was a place flowing with milk and honey, a place of provision, a place of God's presence. Beloved, in scripture, rest is equivalent with the gospel. It's speaking of God's desire to have rest with him, and rest in him where our hearts find contentment and they find communion with the one true God but this is a rest that the people of old fell short of Adam and Eve right kicked out of the garden and exiled because of sin the people under Moses couldn't enter the land of rest because of unbelief even the people who went into the promised land under Joshua eventually were kicked out as well why because of sin and so Hebrews 3, verse 8 says to the church, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And today is the day of salvation where the Holy Spirit is speaking to people like us. And God is saying to us, receive that word in faith. How do you enter God's rest? You repent of your sins and recognize how much you need God. And you trust in Jesus. When you do that, beloved, you find rest. Jesus came on this earth, God incarnate, and he offered this rest to the world. He said in Matthew 11, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Promised rest for the soul, rest for the weary, rest for those who are carrying heavy burdens. 
It's a sobering ending, isn't it? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Instead, dear beloved, open your hearts to God. Find rest in Jesus Christ. St. Augustine famously said, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Today, if you are restless, if you are tired, if you're heavy laden, if you even feel hard-hearted, call out to Jesus Christ, the one who says, I will give you rest, and he will. He will give you life, he will give you rest, he will give you a new heart, a soft heart that knows peace with the living God. None who look to Jesus will be put to shame. Beloved, we are a church. We're a people who are going through the wilderness of life. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us today this word so that we might not fall short of God's rest, but we might enter it as we hold on to Jesus. This invitation goes to the whole world today. May we gladly accept it. And may we come into God's presence with joyful lips. May we come before God with humble hearts. And may we come before God with open ears. And may our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be glorified in our worship as we find our rest in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, with the psalmist, we declare that you are a great God and you are to be feared above all gods. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have hearts that are filled with joy, with humility, and with reverence. We pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but also doers who joyfully and gladly want to follow the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the rock of our salvation. Help us as a congregation to lift high the name of Jesus in our worship and in our living as we glorify you, Lord, with the time that you give to us. Thank you for being a God who speaks. And we pray that today, as we hear your word, that we would not harden our hearts, but Lord, find our, our hearts like a home ready to receive that word and that it would bear much fruit for your glory. Lord, hear our prayers. Do these things in us that we can't do in ourselves, but that you do by the power of your Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.